Let's turn our Bibles to Daniel chapter 3 this evening. Daniel chapter 3. Thanks for coming along, being faithful tonight. And appreciate just the church being faithful. We just really felt like we needed to get our Sunday nights back up and running a little earlier than we had planned on for the summer. And so I appreciate you all coming and, and even the last two weeks being faithful. And um, you know, I appreciate those who showed great concern for me after the message this morning. All came, they wanted to have a look at my thumb and, and uh, it was really two responses. You know, the, all the ladies were like, oh, pastor. And the men were like, just drill it. You know, let's put a drill through it. And so it should be, right? So, but uh, appreciate that. Um, Daniel chapter 3, and uh, interesting that as we think about, you know, the, the nation that we live in, and uh, Lord willing, next week we focus a little bit about the need and, and a little bit about the, the, the history of our, of our country and, and all that has transpired and some lessons that we're going to learn from that that we observe the country that we live in and, and really Western society in general and really the concept of persecution and the concept of our faith costing us is not really something that we, we really understand. And you sometimes hear snippets of news from other countries and some of the struggles that believers have there, the real dangers that they face. And yet I think as you think about just the, the time that we live in, we're going to find increasingly more and more that if we are going to live by faith, there's going to be a continual agitation um, towards the, the faith that we believe in and stand on. And you look even from, a, from a, the point of view of, you know, corporate Australia and the, the corporate, uh, corporate world of Western societies, and there's increasingly more and more pressure to, to bow to uh, woke agendas and to, to pressure uh, different, different companies and their employees to, to really just be okay with, with sinful lifestyles. And, and to be okay with uh, a rewriting of what is quite basic, uh, even in, in the pages of Scripture. And throughout history, the things that we've known to be truth has become more and more eroded over the course of especially the last 10 years. And I think as you, you see that, and, and I hope that you've, you sort of look with a discerning eye at the direction that the world is headed, there's more and more, I think, pressure that we're going to face to really stand for the Lord. There's going to be times where it might actually cost us. And there is in the scripture here that we're going to read just in Daniel chapter 3, the, the, the occasion of Daniel's three friends, we understand that these were young men. Daniel probably was around 17 or his late teens when he was taken captive into Babylon. And his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were with him. We know in chapter 1 of Daniel that they went through already 
a little bit of a, a test. They wanted to separate themselves and they didn't want to take upon them the portion of the king's meat. They understood the defilement of that as, as, uh, as, as Jews and, and they, they wanted to trust God in that and we see that God brought them through. But the, in this occasion in Daniel chapter 3, they're going to face something a lot more pronounced, a lot more consequential. And they were going to face, if they didn't bow, to the pressure of worshipping a false idol and worshipping really a false truth. They were going to face really the consequence of paying for that with their own lives. They were going to face a fiery furnace. And yet, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4 that we ought not to think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. It shouldn't surprise us that even in our modern day world, even in society that by and large we have great freedom to worship the Lord, that we ought not to take it for granted that there could come a time where we could face our own fiery trials for the faith where increasingly as the end times economy comes into play, the, the, there's going to be a lack of acceptance. In fact, a great, uh, a great opposition to just the, the, the very faith in which we believe. And we've got to stand ready. And, and I think as we examine the life of these three Hebrew boys, we understand that they, in, in all of that, face their fiery trial. The Bible tells us actually in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 4 to rejoice. The Bible says, Inasmuch that ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And there's that fellowship that we have with the Lord when we go through suffering for Him. You know, I think in Western society, if we're, if we're even in the heat for a little while, if we're out doing some tracting or letterboxing and we feel like that's, a, that's, that's as far as our persecution goes. You know, it, it could just be a slam thumb in the door on the mission field. That's as bad as it gets. But the reality is it could get worse. And the reality is it's, it's escalating as we see. And so I think it's pertinent for us to, to understand then the, the motives in which we ought to stand. And you know, we, we ought to... In, in many ways, be prepared. And, you know, the, the, the calamity of our day is that in this time of peace, we can often become softened in our stand for the Lord. We, we, can, we, we find ourselves a little bit uh, with our guard down and, and sometimes a little bit unsure or even unmotivated about standing out for the Lord. I mean, who wants to stand out anyway? But the reality is there's a great need even in our generation. And, and I think whilst we have this space of grace, we ought to reinforce some things and we ought to just reinforce some motives that we ought to have within us. And we're going to observe that in the life of these three boys. And you know the story perhaps in, in Daniel chapter 3. They're now in, in Babylon. It's in a modern day Baghdad, probably in, uh, the, in the, the city of Babylon, 55 kilometers south of the modern-day city. And, and you find yourself here as you read this story, if you place yourself in the situation that they're in. We learned a little bit about Egypt and how 
that was a supreme power of the day, but that pairs into insignificance when you compare it to this kingdom of Babylon. Babylon encroached all of the known world in that time. And, and Babylon was a force to be reckoned with, and, and at the head of that was their king Nebuchadnezzar. And, and here, King Nebuchadnezzar, he erects an image of gold. The Bible describes for us there in verse 1, whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And, and uh, in, in, in the recent past, they've, they've tried to ascertain where this plain of Dura is. There's several in that region of the world that's named after that. But there was a certain finding of a large pedestal that perhaps could be the, 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 the exact happening of this place, of this uh, event in history. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent together, together the princes, the governors, and the, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the, of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So he wasn't just asking for any old crowd. He was asking for all of the nobles, all of those that had influence. He wanted those that uh, people could see had authority and people could see had some sort of, of position. And he wanted them to appear subject to this very image that he was setting up. The princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the, the councilors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image of, the, of Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, fast forwarding in the story, a herald cries aloud, and you know the story, the music starts to play, and it was commanded them that when the music started to play, they were all to bow. They were all to worship this false god, this image, and they were to, uh, to show obeisance to this, this uh, false, uh, false god and this false, uh, false, uh, false authority on, on, on this earth. And they were to fall down, the Bible said. And the Bible says this in verse 16, that those who didn't fall down and worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. We know that this furnace later on was so hot that even those servants who went close by, it wasn't even the fact that they were in the furnace, it was just they were in close proximity to it that they, they died, they, were, they perished as a result. So you understand this was a very real thing and, and yet what we find here is that there was a report of these three Jewish boys and in verse 12 the Bible says this, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they were, they were seen. They stood out. Of course, everyone bowed, and they didn't. And, and it, just, it, just, it just was, it just fell into the, the enemy's hands that they, they were just there, and they couldn't wait to tell on these three Hebrew boys. They couldn't wait to tell the king that these three out of anyone would not bow down. And you know, that, that's really going really to be the case. You know, the, in, our, in our day today, there's not really those who would make great complaint if you were to come outside your house and, and, and pray. You know, in our day still today, there's 
you could still read your Bible in public and no one's going to bat an eye really. They might look at it and go, oh, that's different. But you know, there's going to come a day where even your neighbors, they're going to look and go, hmm, it's them worshipers. They're different. And, and there's going to be there's going to be those, and we find that that's what's happened here. And, and so, of course, Nebuchadnezzar gets really angry. The Bible says that he, in his rage and fury, he commanded them that they be brought before the king, and he accuses them directly in verse 14. He says, is it true? And here's, here's an opportunity perhaps to sort of just explain themselves, but they didn't explain themselves. They just admitted to it. He says, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? And, and these weren't just three random boys. They were, they were three young men that were part of that group that was taken from Jerusalem, that were taken as those that were, were excellent, those that stood out already for different reasons, for their character and for all of the, those good things. And we know, again, in, in verse 1, that they were promoted pretty quickly in chapter 1, sorry. And, and we see that they had gained some favor. They had gained some, uh, some, uh, some authority even in that land. And they were found in, in positions of influence. And so it wasn't like they were just going to sort of just hide away and be unknown. They were going to be well-known. And they already had stood out. And, and, and here's the accusation, is it true? Is that really what you've done? You've not bowed? You've continued to stand? He says in verse 15, Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the succbet, the psaltery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And notice the response by these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. What they, they were saying, we don't even hesitate. We understand, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that, thou, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And what we find in this short discussion, this, this defense of their, of their actions, what we find is really two motives that we need to work on as we prepare for maybe some time where we increasingly find in our society a, a really an opposition to the things of the Lord. And what we find firstly is something that is external, something that they find that's bigger than them. And it's really a question that was asked by Nebuchadnezzar. He says in verse 15, he's saying, if you don't, he says, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? You know, the, the challenge in the first place was whether they were going to bow down to a false God. But actually the bigger challenge was this. Who does your God think he is? He's saying, who is that God? You see, Nebuchadnezzar had claimed something for himself. He says, no, no, I am the authority. No, I am God, little G God. We know that. 
But he's saying, who is that God? He's challenging them whether they have an understanding of who he is versus who their God is. And this wasn't about the young men anymore. It wasn't just the fact that they stood out. It wasn't just the fact that they stood and others bowed. It wasn't just even about their lives that were clearly at stake. What was at stake now was the cause. And their cause was the name and the testimony of God. And you know, there's, there's just some things that are bigger than us. And, and I want to remind you that actually when we live for God and we try to stand for God, that it's not for ourselves, that actually there's a cause. And I think about, I think about the different ones through the course of history who face their own trial of faith. Those that you could, if you had the opportunity, get on a plane and go to England and find different, uh, different little, uh, little, uh, little monuments to uh, men like John Huss, who at, 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 in, in their moment of fiery trial, they decided to stand and with their lives paid. And I'm not saying that, that uh, we're going to face it in the immediate, but it could be. There could be a time where the, the, it's going to cost us something. And that's really the test of it, isn't it? If, if the cause is real to us, then consequence or no consequence, it shouldn't make any difference. And they faced the fiery furnace knowing, and yet they stood. Why? Because they understood the cause. They understood that there's something external and bigger than the circumstance that they found themselves in now, actually, it was the cause of Christ. It was the cause of God. And, and when we're challenged about doing right in the face of loss, in the face of opposition, in the face of hardship, the real question we need to ask ourselves is, is our God worth it? Is He worth standing up for? Do we value Him? Do we understand that that's actually the bigger picture? And I think about David. I think about David who... In, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and, uh, under the, really just the, the request of his dad, goes into the battlefield. He wasn't even a soldier. And he looks around and this giant was in the field. And, and, and he looked around and all of these soldiers who were meant to be the ones standing up for the nation and the ones standing up were sitting down and they just sat idly by. They watched as this giant, and it was, the Bible says, defied God. And David, remember his famous words, is there not a cause? He understood that there was something bigger than the situation at hand. No, the name of God. And that ought to be something that we're motivated by. You understand that, that, that God isn't just a figure and a being. No, He's a personal God. And if you're saved, that God came down to this earth and the Lord Jesus Christ, He willingly laid down His life for you and I. It's His name. And yet, so many times, we figure we'll just sit idly by. Even the devil, he accused Job. He said, Doth Job fear God for naught? And the, the idea was that, you know, he's only, he's only living for you. He's only standing for you because everything's going right in his life. 
you put a hedge about him. And so often, it's easy, isn't it, to stand when everything seems to just be at peace. And yet, that was the, that was the crux of the devil's argument against Job, was that you give him hardship, you'll, you'll see. And yet, what we know later on was that God allowed that occasion to refine Job. And Job stood. And Job was able to stand, even in his own. We think about Paul, who throughout his ministry was persecuted. One who was the persecutor turned around and now was being the persecuted. And we find him so often in, in 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And notice what he says, of whom I am chief. He understood. He understood the great sin that he had committed, all of those murders, all of those railings and all of those things that, that he caused the church and yet he became one of them and he says, how be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show, might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. You know, I'm, he said, I, I, God used me as a pattern of suffering because there are going to be those who follow through and, and we know historically all of that and, and again I want you to note the circumstances that in which they had to stand for this cause they were in firstly opposition territory this wasn't a world that was friendly hey you know we can fool ourselves into thinking this world is friendly to the Christian it's not you know everything all of the, the, the governing forces this world's not our home this world's a battlefield and a battlefield, we shouldn't feel at home with. It's, it's not pleasant. And as Christians, we're in opposition territory. The, the Bible tells us that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And that we're supposed to be ones that will show forth the praises of Him who hath called us out of, the, of darkness into His marvelous light. And there's just something about us that in this opposition territory, the cause is enough for us to live by and to live in a way that will be glorifying the Lord. You know, secondly, really, we're open targets. And the reality is that they had a whole nation of idol worshippers watching their every move. Remember, they were told on. They, they, were, they were seen. And, and yet, so often, our testimony is actually a powerful indicator of the reality of Jesus Christ's saving power. You know, even for the Apostle Paul, who was present at the stoning of Stephen. It was the, 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 the peace that Stephen had even at his death as he stood firm for the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the thing that was that, 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 the, the prick that God used to just prick the, the, the conscience of Saul of Tarsus who became the great Apostle Paul. And I wonder how many times we just would have a great price on our testimony. Why? Because there's a cause. There's a cause. And yet, on the opposite of that, when we have a, a failure in testimony, what a powerful black mark that can be to Christianity. Listen, there's a world out there waiting to accuse. There's a world out there waiting for us to stumble and fall. And we better be motivated by the cause even as we're open targets. 
And in the end, the cause is about God's name. And so often, if we're not careful, what we show forth in our responses to hardship, our responses to disappointment, or just this, this, the, the things that we go through shows a negative view of who it is that we're, that we're meant to serve. And what answer does your life give about the question, who is that God? What answer? But then the next thing is just internal. It was internal. What was greater than their circumstances was within. And notice in verse 16, notice what they said. In, he said to the king of Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. You know what that, what that is? Not only did, did the, the cause motivate them, but it was their conviction. And you know, we need people of conviction today. We need people who would be convinced of who God is. We need people who would be convinced that His Word is true. We need people who would be convinced that, that the cause is worth it. We need people who are convinced of the, the, the truth of, of the battle that we're in. And we need to have a conviction, is what I'm saying. Now, so many don't hardly ever have any conviction anymore. Conviction is almost circumstantial. Like if it works out and we have a guarantee, then we'll stand. But listen, there's not, not ever a guarantee, and there's, there was an understanding of that from, from these three. And, and a conviction is something that you're convinced of. It's a firmly held belief. Do you have some firmly held beliefs? Do you have some always and nevers in your life? Are there some things that you will just, you, you, you're absolutely convinced in here, and it's true. You know, you need to base your conviction on something that's solid. And we spoke about the solid foundation of the Word of God. And, and you know that, that the, the, the development of that comes from an understanding and a, and a working through the Scriptures. And we need to just have a, have a, a solid foundation on the truths of the Word of God. But notice the, the things that they were, uh, had a conviction of and that, that they were convinced by. Notice verse 17. It says, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. The first thing is this. We need to be con convinced that God can deliver us. You know, we can face circumstances because we have a God who can deliver. He, he did deliver and will yet deliver, the Bible says. And so they knew from what they heard from all of the, that, that, uh, that Moses wrote in the law and all of the things that they knew of the Scriptures then, that they serve a God that, that's the creator of the universe, that's the protector of His people, and that they can trust Him and their conviction was, hey, God can deliver us. They heard all of the miracles. They knew about how God came and He rescued His people, and, and yet here they were in captivity. And they were yet to understand again just the glory of God in being one who delivers. And I want to tell you that, that if we would trust God in that, in facing the consequences of standing for our faith, then, then God is able to deliver. And God is able to help us overcome in that life if we would choose Him. But then secondly, not only were they convinced, they had a conviction that He is able to deliver. Notice says, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. In verse 18, he says, but if not. And he's saying he can if he chose to. 
And be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And what, what they were convinced by was not only the fact that God can deliver them, but that God had a plan for them. That, that regardless of the result of this, whether God chose to deliver them or not, that actually God had a plan. That actually God is sovereign and God is able to make the right choices for us. And this was what really showed their conviction about God. They were surrendered to His plan. They, they didn't need a guarantee of His rescue. They just, needed a, they just needed to know and they needed to let Nebuchadnezzar know that they trust God regardless. You know, again, it's easy for us to have a conviction about something that doesn't cost us a thing. It's easy to have a conviction when, when there's, there's nothing, there's no stakes. You have no stake in the game, so to speak. And it's, it's easy to, to, to then go, no, I need guarantees. But listen, the only guarantee we have is that God is in control. And God is able. And if God chooses, then that's best. And sometimes our life can be a, shr a shroud of mystery. But in the end, God works it out for the greater. You know, sometimes we can come across and when troubles come, when there's no way that we can understand things can work out, sometimes that's when we, we sort of go, well, is this really what we're supposed to do? And yet it's, it's those times when our trust in God counts the most. And I'm telling you that there's going to be times where we're going to need to stand for the faith and it's going to cost us. And it's going to cost us to the point where it's going to hurt. And it's going to cost us to the point where we're not going to know how this is going to work out. But we know that God is able. And, and in this story, the, the story does work out for them. You, you know that the fourth man comes into the fire. We know, look at verses 24 to 25, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You see that, that, that Jesus was in the midst of them. That, that actually it was in the trusting that, that God showed himself the strongest. And that's, that's really where it's at. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, verse 26, and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire and the princes, governors and captains and the king's councils being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power nor was an hair of their head singed neither were their coats changed nor the smell of fire had passed on them and notice this then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said blessed be the God you know he answered his, question, uh, his own question who is that God he is the God and it was a testimony of these three who wouldn't bow, but stood. And you'll never know what God will do to use you if you've got those motivations. 
of just standing for the cause and standing because you have conviction. And you'll never know how God will turn it around. And in the end, His name gets glorified because you simply stood. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the time. Thank you, Lord, for the, the testimony of these three. Thank you that they understood what was really at stake. And then at the end of the day, dear God, they trusted you. And then, Father, they found themselves just, Lord, being part of this outworking of your power and, Lord, to the turning of hearts. And, Father, I pray that, Lord, in, in the, the situations that we find ourselves in, and, and it probably isn't going to be the case that we're going to literally face a, a, a fiery furnace this week. But, Lord, certainly there might be some fiery trials that really will try us. And however those look, dear God, I pray that you'd help us to just stand on the cause, to stand on our convictions, dear God, and to have those settled. And then, Father, I pray that then you'd use us to just bring honor and glory to you, and that you'd use us, dear God, to testify of the truth of the gospel. And so I pray that you'd help each one as we head into the week. I pray that you'd be pleased in all of that. And we're praying our these things in Christ's most precious name. Amen.